I want to put that rumor to rest right now. I am not shaving my head, okay? Not going to do that. I, I worked really hard to try to keep this hair. My brother lost it all when he was about 18 years old, and I took that and said, not, not going there. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to stay in this series of Colossians as we talk about being rooted today. And we're going to, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, I love this passage. This passage actually is the basis for a discipleship process that I got to go through with a, with a man who was many years older than me. He was about 70 when we started. His name was Mel Duke. And when Mel took me through this discipleship process, it was called 2-7. It was a navigator's process, and it lasted for two years. And it's called 2-7 because of this verse today as we look at Colossians 2-7. Now, Mel Duke was an incredible man. Uh, in his 70s, he decided to continue in ministry and went to the country of Estonia in the northern Baltic bloc of those countries over just to the north of Russia. And in his 70s, continued in ministry to be the country coordinator there for several years until his death just about a year and a half ago. But as I think of this passage, I think of Mel Duke. He was the man who taught me that phrase that Bart quoted a few weeks ago. If you're green you'll grow. If you're ripe, you'll rot. In other words, as long as you are willing to learn and grow, then this faith in Jesus Christ is for you. If you think you've arrived, if you think you can stop doing the basics, if you think that you can just hang on and coast in this life in Christ, that's not what a life in Christ is really all about. But as we look at this passage, I want to read it first from a paraphrase version called The Message. And the reason I want to do that is because of this particular time of year. I love this time of year because for all of our kids, who most of them are not in here, this is a time when school is about to be out, right? We don't feel it this morning because of the cool kind of nippiness in the air, but, but this is a time when school is out. In Phineas and Ferb world, it means there's 104 days of summer vacation that's just around the corner. This crowd's not going to get it. The next one probably will, okay? But unfortunately for our kids, it's only about 84 days of summer vacation that they're going to get. But I want to read this out of the message of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says this, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead and with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. Where we've gotten this whole, this whole passage for this, this whole theme for this whole series. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. Here it is. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Here's the deal. School's out. EVC, school is out. It's time for us to continue living what we already know. Living this faith that God has given us. When we think about schools out, my mind goes back to that time in college. And again, many of our, many of our college graduates have just graduated over this weekend or last weekend. But I remember what my last week of college was like. I had already taken finals Everybody else was still taking finals. And for all the seniors, we just kind of had a, a, a party that last week. We did a lot of stuff together. Some of us went caving. It was in uh, north or southeast Missouri. 
and uh, we, we would go spelunking and go in caves. We did virtually nothing that last week of college. And then I woke up about two or three days before graduation, and I thought, I got to get a job, okay? I got to do something with everything that I've been given. My teachers, my professors, my parents who paid for my education expect me to go out and actually live this stuff out. And that's kind of what I felt like as I read this passage this week. You know, we've had some great teaching over the, the, this year. And as we've looked at James, as we did this at the beginning of last year, as we've looked at Colossians over these last many weeks, as we've, I love the, the worship that we've already had this morning because it so centers us on everything that Colossians has been talking about. Colossians has been talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, who Jesus really is and who He wants to be in your life and in my life. And now the time is here for us to say, now we've got to go out and we've got to live what we know. We've got to be, put this into practice. So I want us to look at this. I memorized this verse in the NIV, so we're going to really look at it out of this. And it says this, So then, just as Christ Jesus as living in you, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. I said I memorized it and then I messed it up. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The first thing I want us to look at today is this. We need to walk like you know how. Walk like you know how. In the ESV, this, this passage says this, So then, just as you, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. What we've got to do is begin to walk like we know how. Do you remember what it was like when you took your first steps as a baby? How many of you remember your first steps as a baby? Okay, most of you, you're lying, Carl, okay? Most of you are trying to remember where you left your keys last night, okay? You're trying to remember, where is my cell phone, okay? I know I had it just a few minutes ago. You don't remember, typically, your first steps. But the last time I checked, every single one of you walked in here this morning. What does that tell me? You know how to walk. Matter of fact, it's almost a function of your life. Unless you have been the victim of a stroke, unless you have been at war and you are struggling to figure out how to remember how to take those first steps again for most of us we don't have to think about walking we just do it and so the message for us this morning out of colossians is this so then just as you receive christ jesus as lord so live in him walk it out walk like you know how this is the way that we are supposed to live our lives. What does it say? Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. When you think about that phrase, Christ Jesus as Lord, this is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase is used. Christ Jesus as Lord. Why does Paul use this in this book of Colossians? Remember that he uses this because he's been talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is who he said he is. He uses these three phrases, or these three words. First of all, he says Christ. The reason he says Christ is because Christ was the office with which Jesus held. Christ is his title. 
He is Christ. He is the one who is over us. He is the preeminence of the Son of God. That's what chapter 1 in Colossians talks about. You remember this. It says, therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Anytime you see a therefore, many of you probably learned this from other pastors. I know I did. I can hear my pastor, Cliff Palmer, saying this time and time again. But anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask the question, what, it, what is it there for? There's a therefore in this passage, and the reason that it is there is that it points backward to what Paul has already talked about. Remember what he talked about? Look at Colossians chapter 1. Or actually, Colossians chapter 2, because this is, he goes back to the first few verses of this chapter. He says, I say this in order, verse 4, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, there are all kinds of arguments in our faith today. Paul could have been writing this book of Colossians just to us because he could say that there are all kinds of arguments. There's all kinds of speculation. There's this idea of universalism that really you don't have to accept Christ. Any way that you want to lead your way to heaven is, is okay. It's the, all roads lead to heaven. That is not true. That is a plausible argument that seems to just kind of make sense when you think about the love of God. That's not true. True, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through Him. The other thing that's crept into our world is this kind of concept of easy believism. This says, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. We've taken that word, and we've talked a lot about it in our churches today. We talk about how it is that you can simply pray this simple prayer and receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Well, that is true but you see, the New Testament concept did not have this idea that you received Christ by praying a prayer. It was the idea that you took Christ, His leadership, and His ownership over your life. That's the reason it uses Christ Jesus as what? Lord. The word is called kurios. It literally means that Jesus is large and He is in charge. He's not only resident in your life, He's the president of your life. He is the one who is in charge of your life. When you look at your life, when we say Christ Jesus is Lord, we're not talking about easy believism. I got excited at a church camp and I walked forward and walked down an aisle. I got emotional in a service and I came forward and I asked Christ to come into my life. All those things are true, but what we need to understand is it's no easy believism. It costs us our very life. When we say that Jesus is our Lord, what it means is simply this. These are my keys. When I take these keys out, these are keys to things that I have ownership of, or in my case, partial ownership, okay? How many of us actually own our house? No, we own 20% of our house, okay? We own 50% of our house, but these are things that I own. A car, okay? An opportunity to, to go out and, and drive my black Ford Escape. I these are things that I own. So here's what happens. When I give Christ my life, I am saying to Him, I want you to take ownership. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give you the keys of my life. I want you to take my life, and I want you to make it yours. So it's not the idea that we can accept Christ and then live any way that we want to. It is the fact that Christ Jesus is Lord. Now, that would bring up another issue, which is, okay, Randy, so you're saying that if Christ is Lord of your life, that my life has to back it up, and that I will never sin again. No, I'm not saying that. 
Salvation is a free gift. It is a gift of grace. And it's not that you can earn your way to heaven. That is what I really struggle with. If Several months ago, I talked about my own personal testimony. I struggle with the fact that I grew up in a church that as I heard all these phrases, I heard things like, well, if you're 99% saved, then you're 100% lost. It kind of focused on this idea that if you have any doubt in your mind whether you're a Christian or not, then you're probably not. I don't believe that. I believe that once you come to the place in your life where you give Jesus Christ ownership of your life and you ask Him to come into your life, He does not pull any punches. He comes in. It is a grace gift. But what we have to understand is it also means that we're surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. We are surrendering ourselves to Him. We are saying to Him, Jesus, I give you ownership of all my life. I give you everything. So that's what we're talking about. How do we walk like we know how? We understand that what this is saying is just like 1 John talks about. 1 John 2, 5, and 6 says, By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says that we abide in Christ ought to walk in the same way that Christ Jesus walked. So when we walk this life out, what it means is we are walking as Christ literally walked this life out on earth. So I ask you this question. How did you receive Christ as Lord? I had to realize that I could not make it on my own. I had to give over the keys of my life and say, Jesus, I want you to live inside me. I want to give over every area. Now, here's what it means for me. It means that every day I could recommit that same life. That's what's called sanctification. That once we have Christ in our life, that's justification. That Christ's life is imprinted over mine. That God, when he sees me, he no longer sees my sin. He sees his son. But now I'm walking this out. That's the walk of what's called sanctification. Every day, choosing again and again to give over my life to what we say dying to ourself and allowing christ to live inside of us it's a journey it's a journey that we take every day i look at this crowd this morning and i see people that are taking steps in your journey i see soon to be high school graduates that are getting ready to take a new step in their journey i've watched some of you Lose loved ones this year. And you're taking new steps in your journey. I've watched others of you go through great difficulty. Someone in your family being sick or being ill. And you are taking steps in your journey. There's a lady that I know that took a significant step in her journey this week. Her name's Debbie. Debbie has been attending here at EVC over the last several months. And Debbie, a few years ago, lost her son in a car accident. And 11 months later, lost her husband to cancer. Debbie walked a very difficult road. And on Friday this week, I saw her stand in front of 1,300 teenagers at South Lake Carroll High School at their 9th and 10th grade campus. And Debbie talked about her walk. She talked about some bad choices that her 17-year-old son made several years ago. 
that 98% of Michael Fresh's decisions were really good and that 1% or 2% of them were bad choices. And the consequences were that he was killed in an accident that, it, that involved alcohol. And she got to stand in front of those kids and give a testimony of her faith and for an hour got to talk about how Christ has made a difference in her life and how their decisions can be different. You see, I watched Debbie walk a very difficult walk. And as she walked her faith out, that's a brilliant picture of exactly what we're talking about this morning. Walk like you know how. You don't have to think about how you take that step every morning when you get out of bed. You don't have to think about how to take that first step. What Paul is saying is, Colossians, folks at EVC, listen. Take your steps of faith just like you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Every day is a grace walk. Every day you're surrendering your life over to Jesus Christ. Every day is an opportunity for you to choose to allow Him to live through you rather than take ownership and take things back into your own hands. So, our first point is this. Walk like you know how. How are you walking today? For some of you, you need to ask the question, have you truly received Christ Jesus as Lord? I'm not trying to enter doubt into your process as I felt like I experienced a lot of. I'm not trying to do that. But what I am saying is this. If you believed that your relationship with Christ shouldn't affect the way that you live, we're greatly in error. Your relationship with Christ should cause you to walk in a different way. Does it mean you won't sin? No, you will. You'll struggle with sin. But it means that you'll continually give ownership of your life over to Christ. Are you walking in the same way that you received Christ? So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. Continue to live in Him. And then what does it say? Rooted in Him. The second point is this. Make like a root and go deep. Okay? Make like a root and go deep. So what we're deciding to do today is to understand what this idea means that we are rooted in Christ. The focus of this passage is simply one thing. It is Jesus Christ. You are rooted in Him. And I want to talk about being rooted this morning. Here are a few things that roots actually do. A root gives stability. When that tap root comes out of the seed, do you realize that every root that's ever going to develop on a tree or a plant is going to develop from that first initial tap root that comes out of whatever kind of seed it is? And it goes down into the ground. For most trees, it goes deep. I found out this week as I was doing some research, actually, on the great California redwoods, it doesn't go deep. It actually goes wide. Some 125 to 300 feet wide is where the roots go. But a root gives stability. When we say that we are going to live in a community, we say that we develop what in that community? We develop roots. And what that says is this. You don't see any trees, or at least if you do, unless you're watching um, the uh, Tolkien series, which is Lord of the Rings. I was trying to remember what that was. You don't see any trees that are walking around today, right? Trees don't walk around. Why? Because they are rooted. They stand firm. They stay in one place. 
Many times you'll see in the kind of winds that we get here in Texas, many trees will be toppled over and you'll see that their root ball stayed right around the surface. You want to know why that happens? Because people typically water right on the surface. If you don't try to water deep, then those roots are not going to go deep because a tree or any type of plant will always develop its root system wherever it can get the easiest nourishment. Well, it sounds like us as Christians too, doesn't it? We sometimes develop our root systems right along the surface where we can get the easiest type of nourishment. But some of you know what I'm talking about. When you've gone through the greatest difficulty in your faith is when your roots had to go deep and they had to find the rock, Christ himself. That's what roots, that's what our roots need to do in order to give us stability. A root not only gives us stability, but a root gives us nourishment. Every root that even comes off of that taproot is always going to filter out. It's going to look like little fibers that are out there seeking to gain any form of nourishment or any form of water to be able to keep that tree or plant alive. The sustaining force, what this passage says, is that you're not just rooted in anything. You're not even rooted in the church. You're not rooted in your relationships with other people. Who are you rooted in? You are rooted in Christ. Your taproot needs to go down to who Christ is and who he desires to be. That's the reason Paul, in this passage, has said who Christ is. He's tried to give us a crystal clear, brilliant picture of who Jesus is. Why? Because he's everything that matters. If you're going to live your life, if you're going to walk through difficult times, then you have to be rooted deep in Christ. So a root gives nourishment. What did Jesus say? I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. i got to be really honest. My life in Christ, what people kind of taught me early, is that you should be busy. It's kind of what, what Bart's been preaching on, on rest, as we've talked about this. That really wasn't what I was taught. I was taught that as a Christian, you're supposed to be busy doing the Lord's work. And what really we should be taught is, you need to be focused on Christ and do whatever He tells you to do. Any of these external things of doing this, doing that, and these programs, and these programs, rather than doing what Christ calls you to do. My message to you would be, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. My life, a lot of times, has been, God, I'm going to come up with my plans and then ask you to bless it. That is not what Christ has called us to. He has called us to be focused on Him and to hear from Him and obey what He says. A root also seeks a water source. Roots seek a water source. Whether they be shallow or deep, they seek a source of water. Again, a brilliant picture from John chapter 4 says this, verse 14. Jesus said that He is the what? Living water. And it's not just about Christ living in us That's the important thing. But when when we are in Him, He says, He becomes in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Christ is in us, when our roots go deep into Christ, then here's what happens. We simply become the conduit for which Christ lives His life out to others. 
That's what the legacy of faith is, is that you root yourself so deeply in who Christ is that people no longer see you, but they are receiving receiving nourishment straight from Jesus Christ because you have tapped into His water source, and He is a spring of living water that is welling up out of our lives. Final thing is in this is that a root gives security in troubled times. For many of you, you could preach this message much better than I because you've lived harder times maybe than I've lived. One of the hardest and most difficult things for me to experience has been the loss of my mom and the aftermath of that. I heard Debbie say it like this, that uh, as she spoke to these kids this past week, was that losing her son Michael was the earthquake and the results has been the tsunami. And I felt that. I felt that with the loss of loved ones. But some of you have felt it all the more. And you know that it is only your faith in Christ that allows those roots to give you the stability in the darkest days that you experience. Is your faith movable? As Paul talks about later in in another passage, he says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Is your faith movable or is it rooted? Is it on the surface? Only focused on the friends and the fellowship that you have with others? That's important, but it's not Jesus. You can find fellowship in Christ, in the body of Christ, but it is your relationship with Christ that is most important. Is it good when you're here on Sunday morning? Is it rooted in Christ and immovable when you're at work? When you're at school, when you're dealing with that tough neighbor who always seems to be up and whose dog is always barking, okay? Does it give you strength and stability during those times? So Paul says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted in him. And then he says, and built up, built up in him. Build on the solid foundation of Christ. Since you're rooted in Christ, don't just leave it there, but also be built up in the foundation of Christ. I want you to look at this picture as we've thought about the floods, as we've seen them. As you see this picture, you see this house. As the flood of the Mississippi has come in, and here's this house. And the question is, will will it stand there? Will it still be there? What is its foundation? Is your foundation built upon Christ? Are you building on that solid foundation? Luke 6 says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not Shake it, because it had been well built. The question for us is, who are we built upon? And as we're building our life, as we're stacking the stones of our life, who are we built upon? Are we building on the foundation, the solid foundation of Jesus Christ? Are we living our life in such a way that we are building on that foundation? Mark 12.10 says this, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. 
1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 says this. As you come to him, this is who you and I are, okay? Who are we? We're this. We're living stones. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I want you to look over at this wall. As you see this wall, you see these masonry blocks that are built. They are interlaced, interwoven on one another. It is such that you could cut in around one block and take it out, and it would still have stability. Because these blocks are built on a solid foundation, and they're literally stones that are built on one another. The picture that Peter gives here is that you and I are living stones. We are literally built on one another. And the mortar that holds us together is the love of Christ. And the love of Christ that we are living stones built into this spiritual building called the church is that we are built upon a solid foundation. I had the great opportunity of being able to build houses with my father as I grew up. He was a custom home builder. And for the, since I was a sixth grader until the time I left for college, matter of fact, that's the reason I felt called to ministry at an early age. I did not want any part of the construction business, okay? Our other thing that we did was we, we farmed. And so again... We, we cut our own hay, had cattle, and I'm going, I'm going into ministry, Dad. That's, that's what I'm doing. I feel called today, okay? I didn't want any part of that. But here's the thing. What I learned from my father, because he was an incredible builder. He built houses in a very deliberate fashion. Many times we'll see the houses that we see, and they'll go up in three months, four months, maybe even less. My father built houses for a living, and he believed this. That each house that he built was a reflection of his character. And he spent time, we would spend months sometimes, on the foundation. And I can go back, and all the houses that we built, there's not one of them that I know of that ever had structural foundation issues. Because my father knew that if he spent time on the foundation, the rest of the house would be stable. Where's your foundation today? Are you building it on Christ? Are you building it in your own strength? Are you building it thinking that you can gut this Christian life out and just do it on your own? This passage is not going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to it. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to listen to this, verse 9, starting with verse 9. It says, For we are God's fellow workers... And you are God's field, God's building. You, EVC, you, individual member of the body of Christ, you, Gary, you, Pat, you, Bill, you, Linda, you are God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Now someone else is building on it. What he's talking about is a spiritual legacy. I had a phenomenal conversation with one of our members, one of our newest members this week. And we talked about, you know, as pastors, really, what are we, what are we really doing? As a pastor, what, what are you doing? Are you seeking to build a legacy? Sometimes when we build buildings, we think that the church is a building. Are we just building a legacy, something that will live life beyond us? And the answer is no. 
What we are seeking to do at EVC is to build a church that goes beyond any one pastor or any one group of congregants. That this living building, the body of Christ, you as an individual person in Christ, would be able to live and build a legacy. Passing on your life into your kids' lives. Your life into your neighbor's life. Your life into your co-worker's life. And that this passing the baton of faith would continue going on into history as it's been going on previous to us and the baton is now to us. And now here we are running with it, running our race. And it's not about who knows your name. It's not about who knows about EVC. It's about who knows about Jesus Christ. He's the one who lasts. So Paul says, I laid the foundation, but someone else is building upon it. Somebody else is taking it to the next step. This isn't a pastor's job. This is a member of the body of Christ's job. Who are you building into? Whose foundation are you now laid upon? Christ, and how are you building upon it? And he says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, people will see it. Each one will see the work that you've accomplished. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work, what sort of building you've been doing. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You're God's temple. Does it make any difference how we live our life? Absolutely it makes a difference because you're God's temple. Whatever you take into this body, whatever you put out of this body, this is God's temple. I don't get to leave this body at home when I want to go out and do things that aren't honoring to Christ. I don't get to do that. I don't get to leave Christ at home. Christ is in me, and I am Christ's temple. For God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You see, what God desires for us is that we would build on the solid foundation of Christ. That you would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that everything that you build is not just out of your own effort, but it's on Christ. It matters how we live our lives. So here are the questions for this. What are we building? What are you building? What is your spiritual legacy? Whose life has been impacted by your obedience? What's the building that's left when you are gone? Build on the solid foundation of Christ. So we see, we've seen that we walk like you know how, like you started. Make like a root and go deep. Build on the solid foundation of Christ. And then he says, strengthened in the faith as you were taught strengthened in the faith as you were taught. This is literally a spiritual workout. A spiritual workout. And I've been hearing Bart say about all the weight that he's lost. And since I came to EVC, weight that I had lost two years ago, I've begun to put back on. And so, just this past week, one of the big things for me to do exercise is that I have to have accountability. Okay, 
I am sometimes known as the walking fiesta because if I don't have people to do stuff with me, I don't like doing it, okay? I like to have a party wherever I go, okay? So if I don't have other people around me, I tend not to do things very well if I don't have that accountability. So I have a workout partner. His name is Matt, and his schedule finally changed again so that we could begin working out. And this week, we started working out at 5.30 in the morning. Okay, my neighbors, I'm not sure that they really like it, but we're working out in my garage at 5.30 in the morning. I got to tell you, it is all I can do. I've been talking about walking. It is all I can do today to walk around the stage, okay? Because my muscles are so sore. Why? Because I had not been working out for the last year and a half. And consequently, I have shown the Fruit of the fact that I had not been working out for the last year and a half, okay? Even some of the guys in my life group, they're not in this service, they're going to be in the next one. They have been telling me that they have been watching me get larger, okay? And so I have not appreciated that. I want them to hear this message about encouraging, okay? But this workout, when we work out, there's a process that happens. We get sore. Why do we get sore? Because there's lactic acid that builds up in our muscles. Our, literally, our muscles are being built down before they can build back up. I could ask Weldon Russo, who does his rehabilitation clinic. And matter of fact, your arm that you broke, sir, is going to be sore, right, when it comes out of that cast. Because it hasn't been utilized. We have a body of believers in the church around the nation today that is weak and flabby. Why? Because we've not been working out the spiritual muscles that God has given us to work out. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught. You know, that implies a couple of things. It first of all implies that you need strength. And that strength is not in working it, gutting it out. That strength is in who? Christ. The focus of this whole passage is that your strength comes in Christ. Philippians says, I can do all things. And we typically stop right there and go, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But as John said, I can do nothing apart from Christ. It's not going to last. You see, we need to be strengthened in the faith. The other thing it implies is that someone has taught you. We have a whole generation that has lost the idea of mentoring. We've lost the idea of passing our faith on to someone else. We've lost the identity that this is supposed to be a life-on-life type of responsibility. As God has placed me here at EVC, I am so thankful because I love the ideas and concepts of discipleship. But i got to tell you, they sometimes don't work really well. You want to know why? Because we're not obedient. We get in the idea that we want to mass-produce disciples. It's not going to happen. Honestly, To be real honest with you, disciple-making doesn't happen best by one guy or lady standing up here and giving a message and everybody else sitting out there. It doesn't happen best that way. Jesus made that very clear. If that were the case, then all we'd have is a Sermon on the Mount. And he'd go, this is the way you make disciples. But instead, we see Jesus living his life with the 70, living his life with the 12, living an even closer life with Peter, James, and John. There was discipleship that was taking place. And I think as a church and as a body and as believers, we have to get back to the idea where our lives are so interlinked with someone else that we have this mentoring relationship. 
seeing them grow in their faith, holding them accountable, them holding us accountable. And we see this mentoring life on life continuing to take place. Is it easy? No. Does it require every single one of us to be involved? Yes. And it involves you having somebody that you're learning from and somebody that you are teaching. But we can't just expect that our kids are going to go into our kids' lives on Sunday morning and they're going to learn everything that they need to know about Christ. Dustin and our children's workers, Liz and our preschool workers, they do phenomenal jobs. Kyle and our student ministry, they'll do a phenomenal job, but it's not their responsibility. As parents, it's our responsibility to live this life out. What neighbor of yours do you have that needs to hear this message, that needs to know that someone will walk alongside them when they're going through their deepest, darkest days, to know that you're rooted in founded in Christ and that they can be strengthened by letting your life rub off on theirs. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25 through 27 says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. In other words, people who run, okay, people in the Olympics do so to get instead of a wreath anymore, they give a medal, right? But Paul says that metal's not going to last. But the reward that we're running after will last. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I love what the New American Standard Version says in this. It says, but I buffet my body. Now, do you know how to spell buffet? Okay, now think about it. You spell buffet, it literally means discipline, but you spell it B-U-F-F-E-T, which in the English language is also another word, which is also called what? Buffet, okay? I think in the American church today, we've said, instead of I have buffeted my body and I make it my slave, we've decided that we're going to buffet my body, okay? (laughs) We're going to the super Chinese buffet, we're going to get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and that's what we've done with our spirituality, isn't it? We've said, okay... I'll take a little bit of grace. I really like that. But actually living out my faith? No, I don't think I want any of that today. Thank you. That's the Brussels sprouts of faith. Okay, I don't want that today. I don't want that. We've buffeted our body. Instead of doing what Paul said is buffeting or disciplining our body. We do not run aimlessly. As you watch kids run on a track, when you watch those athletes, what do they do? They stay in their lane. If they got to the first curve and just took off, would they win the race? No, because there are rules. You have to stay in your lane. You're strengthened in the faith as you were taught. You go around the track. You do not run without aim. You run in a focused sort of way. We are strengthened in the faith as you were taught. How are you strengthened? I believe one way that we're strengthened is through spiritual disciplines. We don't hear a lot about that in the church. Where do you get your spiritual exercise from? God's Word. It's not laying it on your pillow and getting it by osmosis either, okay? That does not work. I'm here to tell you that, sorry, tried it. Doesn't work, okay? It's by reading it. It's by ingesting God's Word into your life. It's by saying, God, what do you want me to get out of this? It's by thing called fasting. Actually doing without something and giving that time that you would normally do that daily activity, whether it's eating, whether it's Facebook, whether it's something else, giving that time to God. 
by exercising spiritual discipline, by memorizing Scripture, by being ready that when Satan is going to tempt you, when you're going to struggle, memorizing some Scripture that goes against those things so that you're ready to act when those things happen. You have to prepare yourself. You have to discipline yourself. So the question here is, how are you getting your spiritual workout? Who are you listening to? Where are you learning? Who's your spiritual mentor? And who is in your spiritual downline? Who are you mentoring? Final thing today is, the proof is not in the pudding. The proof is in the thankfulness. Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him or walk it out, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and then we normally stop, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thanksgiving. I want you to think about the last time you were truly thankful and showed your appreciation to someone. Do you ever hear anyone say, well, that person is just too appreciative? Have you ever heard anyone say that, okay? Well, that person is just too thankful. I mean, it just really grosses me out. They're so thankful for the things that I do for them, okay? I have found that out. My teenage daughters are not in this room. They probably will not listen to this. They don't go home and listen to their father preach, okay? Well, they do sometimes, but that's beside the point. But that's what I've discovered about teenagers. It's like, dude, can you ever say thank you, okay? And I can hear my mom going and saying the same things to me. But the, the proof is in the thankfulness. I think about high school graduates right now, and my mother stayed on me, and I think I finally finished my graduation thank you cards like right before I went to college in August. Okay, I finally finished those. But how many moms have stayed on your kids about writing thank you cards? Okay, that is a major power down, moms. Okay, I just want you to know that is, um, just makes you go, Brrr. there's not, when you make them write those thank you cards, but keep doing it. Because we are not a thankful generation. We are not thankful, and we do not express that thanks. I love reading the cheers and jeers in the paper, okay? I'm probably one of those guys that tends to go to the jeers more than the, the cheers, okay? I, I understand that. Why? Because I'm sometimes not thankful. But I love it when I hear about people who have bought someone else's dinner and then not told them about it. I've done that on several occasions. I love doing that for older people. I love doing that for like veterans because I love saying thank you and them not necessarily ever knowing that it was me. Why? Why do we like that? Because it's real appreciation. It's not getting recognized for it. It's genuine and it's from the heart. Now I will tell you, thankfulness can sometimes be fake. It can be. But the reason that I tell you Paul put this in here is because it is very difficult to manufacture honest thankfulness. You want to know why? Because it requires true humility. When you are thankful to someone, when you are appreciative of what they've done, when you are truly, and what this is really focusing on, is are you really thankful for Jesus Christ in your life? Yes, it's cost you your life. Yes, it's cost us who we are. 
Because we've given the keys of our life over to Christ. Yes, it costs us living it out and mentoring others. But are we truly thankful for the salvation that we've experienced? Are we truly thankful for other believers and the strength that that we receive from them? So I want to ask you, does your life overflow with thankfulness? Listen to what Paul says a little bit later in Colossians 3. Verses 15 through 17, he says this. I want you just to think about how many times this is mentioned. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You see that passing on in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. In your hearts towards God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want to challenge you this week, as you read through wherever God has you, and if you're not anywhere, be in Colossians and read it through how many times He talks about being thankful. You can't manufacture it. The proof of your faith is in how thankful you are. The proof is in how thankful you are for others, but most importantly, how thankful you are for who Christ is in you. Walk like you know how. Be rooted in Christ. Make like a root and go deep. Build on the solid foundation of Christ. You are strengthened in the faith. Get your spiritual workout in. But let the proof of your thankfulness, let the proof of His presence in your life be thankfulness. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank You. I thank You, God, for Your Word. I thank You that it's so clear how we are to live this life out, just as we received You as Lord. Jesus, I pray for those this morning that might be here and they have reviewed their life this morning And they do not find themselves in you. And Holy Spirit, if that's them, Lord, you have pricked their heart towards that this morning. Lord, I pray that they would realize they cannot make it on their own. And they would receive you as their Savior and Lord today. Father, I also thank you for many of us who, Father, as we think about this message, we realize that we still have spiritual work to do in our hearts. We've not arrived. We still get to walk this out. And Lord, our faith is going to be continually built up when we walk it out in you. So I pray for your strength. I pray for your conviction. And I pray for your joy in the midst of this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if, if you want to make a decision to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you. I'm going to be here up front. If you need somebody to pray with you, maybe you just want to think about this a little bit more and you want to think about how this impacts you, I encourage you to come and talk with me this morning. I'd love to know how God wants to work this out in your life. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to go ahead and pray over our offering.